This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us on Monday, if you celebrate. I hope you had an awesome Easter yesterday, especially on the back of a 4-0 win at Goodison Park against Manchester United and none other than Romelu Lukaku. James, how are you feeling after yesterday's match? What an unbelievable last five or six games it's been to be an Everton fan. The longstanding drought of having having not beaten a top six side for over two years and then some of these some of these streaks go date back, you know, half a decade, if not longer. The four nil smashing of Manchester United is just another kind of talisman for the year. A really good, solid way to kind of as we wind things down slowly, it just makes it all the more sweet. You know, the seventh place is now the best case scenario, of course, has been for some time. But these wins really just do so much more for the future building on to next season. Credit to the atmosphere at Goodison. I was actually watching the match with one of my best friends who is a diehard Manchester United supporter. And as anyone who is an Everton fan knows, watching these types of high profile games, Everton versus a big six club tends to be pretty miserable for us because you're just expecting the worst and expecting to just have your head in your hands the whole time. So when Richarlison puts an overhead kick in in the 12th minute, I'm just like over the moon, but trying to, you know, stay composed, keep it classy. I don't want to, I wouldn't want to have him rubbing it in my face if things were, she was on the other foot. So I kept it contained, but inside I was just freaking out. And then it only got better from there. Well, see, you're an Evertonian, so you know that it's, it's irresponsible to, to start talking trash in the 12th minute, even if Everton are one nil up. That's a very good point. I, and even at halftime, I said like, this could very easily swing the other way. We we blew a 2-0 lead versus Millwall of all teams. So Manchester United, a much more daunting proposition. But credit to the team, credit to the atmosphere at Goodison. Everything was kind of firing on all cylinders. Marco Silva's vision for the team, I think this is what he has in mind going forward as on a more consistent basis. And as good as Everton were, Manchester United were very poor and I know that there's been a lot of debate, a lot of pundits sounding off. And the main talking point has been how poor Manchester United is. But watching the highlights back yesterday, the announcers on NBC Sports actually said a couple times, like, take nothing away from what Ever- Everton were able to do today because they've been magnificent. And it was just breathtaking stuff at times and for sustained periods of time as well. You know, it still boils my blood that as an Everton fan, I watched a match against Manchester United in which we were absolutely dominating them. Maybe not in possession, but in any sort of in, in, in any, any sort of play whatsoever, defensively, offensively, even in the midfield. And yet, you know, they'll say ironically, you know, absolutely hats off to Everton. They really perform well, take nothing away from them. And then they spend the next 15 minutes talking about Man U and and, and their new manager and, and the overhaul that needs to be done. And to me, that's just extremely annoying. Like you already have people watching the match, right? Like the Everton versus Man U headline, all the all the talk about Man U prior to the match to get people to watch the match. I understand all that. As a pundit, like you are supposed to come up with some hot takes like I love to do. But Spicy. at the same 
yeah, I, I love to be spicy, but at the same time, it comes down to the fact that you can't make a whole fan base hate you. And uh, I know I'm not late to the party. I just it, it just infuriates me even more this last month when our last four home games were nil nil to Liverpool, two nil against Chelsea, one nil against Arsenal, and four nil against Man U. And yet every single one of those uh, comes down to the opposite team being extremely poor. Yes, and that is the case. And and I am gonna like kind of again do what I'm so want to do and play devil's advocate here. But like I said this on Twitter, probably ninety upwards of ninety percent of people tuning in to watch NBC Sports coverage of the Premier League are, especially the the games that are actually making on TV, are fans of the top six. And so if you're a broadcaster, you're going to think. You know what you want to appeal to your audience. You want to make your audience listen. And what the, the what a probably overwhelming proportion of people watching that game are Manchester United fans. They want to hear about Manchester United. It doesn't it doesn't make it okay to be dismissive of other fan bases or performances by Everton, especially yesterday. What what really you know the the lopsidedness in talking points and coverage is one thing, but what really gets me upset is when you have like. Gary Neville going on Sky Sports and being just blatantly disrespectful and flippantly saying like, oh, it's just Everton. Like, how could Manchester United lose to Everton of all the teams? OK, if it's if it's Huddersfield, you may have uh, have a right to, to make that type of claim. But with the with the soccer that the club's been playing, Everton have been playing for the last month. This really, I mean, it was shocking. It was surprising that the margin was so big, but but this type of performance had been coming and this kind of result had kind of been brewing in, in behind the curtain all season. And it was just today or yesterday, rather, that we decided to unleash it upon the hapless Red Devils. And furthermore, you heard Robbie Earle at halftime on NBCSN, and he said verbatim, this isn't Barcelona, this is Everton, when we were 2-0 up. And... Lo and behold, well, guess what? We beat Manchester United 4-0 at home as opposed to Barcelona's 3-0. Yeah, but we're not Barcelona, right? Like, no Take one's going to pretend. Take it back. <laughs> I will not. I will, I will log off, we're James. Better. We're better. We're better. <laughs> we're better than Barcelona. But you understand, like, the the point. It's just the way that it's expressed. I can understand why it comes across as offensive or annoying. But for me, it's just like... You have to recognize where you are, where you're at, and I think we're kind of. I think we sometimes might have a bit of an inferiority complex when it comes to these types of comparisons. As fans, you know, the, no one wants. We all think Everton's the best club in the world, and when anyone disagrees, they're wrong and they're idiots. Um, and I think that some of that stems from that. But yeah, it, the overall attitude. I think. I think the crux of it is that we're not getting the respect we deserve after the results that we've put in against the top six sides over the last few weeks. And even all season, like you look at the the cumulative results against the top six all season, we've put respectable performances in all except one. And so we're not just like some miracle team that shows up and thrashes Manchester United 4-0 out of nowhere. The results, the precedent was there. Just, you know, the margin today was a bit over the top, I think by even Everton fans' expectations and in, in, in spectacular fashion. And I'm all for it. I love it. Well said, as always, and I know we could uh, we could go on all night complaining about punditry, just like every other sure. blue across the world. But Easily. let's let's dive into the match itself. So, in terms of our start starting eleven, we know Andre Gomez had to start his three match um, suspension based on a tackle last match. So Schneiderlin came in for Gomez, and then Keane came in for Phil Jagielka, 
rightfully so. Were you happy with the lineup? Was it expected? I know, uh, I think we pretty much both kind of called it in the uh, pre-match. Yeah, not much really to, to be surprised about. I was slightly disappointed to see Schneiderlin get the nod over Tom Davies, but Marco Silva clearly has faith in the player and that faith was was well rewarded today. Michael Keane coming in for Jags, no problem. That's a definite yes for me. And he was right back into the thick of things, getting involved, being dominant physically, dominant um, in the air, doing all, all the things that he's done so well all season. And really Michael Keane, we kind of have, he's, his, his consistency has been so such at such a high level for, for the most part that we kind of have stopped mentioning him too much. But like last season, he was nowhere near where he's been all year. And he's sustained such a high level all year that I just think, you know, little shout out to Michael Keane, big boss, doing big boss things. And then, yeah, Schneiderlin, a really good performance, a really solid performance. And you saw him and Adrissa Gay, that, that partnership, which we haven't seen flourish in a while, looked reminiscent of two years ago under the you know the initial Ronald Koeman in his first season uh at in charge and so that was that was really great to see and then of course with those two sitting behind you have Sigurdsson in a more advanced role and just I mean what else can you say about Gilfie Sigurdsson what a performance Gilfie Sigurdsson was indeed the official man of the match and in terms of Michael Keane last season he was playing with a really really messed up foot but we have to remember as well, I believe Michael Keane is 25 now. And so when you look back at, you know, last season, his first season at the club, 24 years old, that's very young for a central defender, right? Like, you know, they, they I believe they, they have to read the game well. And you know how they say goalkeepers kind of are better with age. I think central defenders could be said the same thing to a certain extent. Um, but my point is, it shows that Marco Silva, or the amount of detail that Marco Silva puts into training his players and getting them prepared and and giving them a step-by-step, this is what you need to do in every situation. Here's what this player, this opposition player is going to try to do, you know, this sort of thing. And I think it's really, really benefiting Michael Keane and his performances. Yeah, and it's a completely new tactical setup, right? A much more expansive style of play tends to be more possession-based. Um, moving the ball around, expected to do more with the ball at your feet, which is something that I don't think he was very comfortable with. And it really showed even in spells early this year where his facilitation of the ball out of the back wasn't great, but especially last season and prior when he was at Burnley, of course, that was not something that he was expected to do. So he's really grown as a player, expanded his skill set tremendously and also gotten better at the things that made him a good player in the first place. And he is just like a rock for us at this point. whether or not we we look for a center back in the summer, I think obviously like the Kurt Zuma thing, that's still up in the air. But I think that he could be rock solid for us for several more years and, and a really promising player. And, and per- perhaps with this performance this season has has definitely entered himself into the conversation for a spot on the England side. Oh, that's a given for sure. I'm glad you mentioned that. So let's talk about the match itself. We did create a lot of chances and and I want to talk about this because, you know, you mentioned Sigurdsson, who, as I've said previously, he got the official man of the match. Sigurdsson's created four chances by himself. Yes, yeah, it's, it's great from him. You know, we see sometimes he struggles to get involved in matches. Sometimes he he doesn't have the influence that we'd expect. And But today he was back to his very best. I believe it was last week or yeah, last week at Fulham when we talked about he only had like 10, 12 touches of the ball. Yesterday he had 32 passes. 
that is the type of involvement that you would expect from your number 10 getting involved. He was doing really well, drifting out wide, kind of not staying isolated in, in that central position. And then not just what he does with the ball, because you could talk all day about that. I mean, the finish very, very well taken, a, a thunderous strike, poor defending from Manchester United, but also not just what he does with the ball at his feet. Fantastic distributor, gets the ball around, finds players in key positions, really incisive with his passing. But then what he contributes defensively, his work rate is just constant and really puts the, puts the defense off. He did such a good job pressing their back line alongside Calvert-Lewin. Just a nuisance all game, both on, on both sides of the ball. And that is the type of complete performance that you need from that position. And it's why we paid $45 million from him and for him from Swansea. And you could say that that was arguably his best performance in a blue shirt uh, to date. And he's had some really good ones. Honestly, I think I'm right there with you. It probably is his best performance in a blue shirt. He also scored a banger from like 30 yards out, which was awesome. So he's still joint top scorer with 13 goals this season, which I think we've stated previously, that is his season best ever in the Premier League. So you know, to say that he is underperforming or doesn't offer enough, I think that at the end of the day, fans saying that are, are kind of delusional at this point. But overall, we had 15 shots, right? Six were from open play, whereas eight were from set pieces. And if you recall, the first goal, Richarlison's overhead kick, was a indirect result from Luca Dean throw in. And then Luca Dean's goal, which was the third, also came from clearing a corner. So we are, although we, we it seems like the fan base doesn't feel as though we're scoring or taking chances with set pieces, we are indeed actually taking chances. We had 10 corners overall. Yeah, and we got like five right at the right from the get-go, like back to back to back to back. And it was like, th- that's when the pressure was clear that Everton were just up for it in a way that Manchester United weren't. The pressure was constant. And there was actually a really good uh, go. I believe we retweeted it from David Hughes on Twitter, looking at the setup on that long throw from Luca Dean. And it was almost exactly similar to the Arsenal long throw a couple weeks ago, where you had essentially three players at the near post looking to win that first ball and flick it onto the back post for someone to finish. And so that that's not just luck. Like that's a result of, of hard work put in on the training ground, organizing, making sure that the situations you're, you're familiar with what the opposition will do and then take that and execute your game plan on top of it. And it worked to perfection. And it was a, a splendid finish from Richarlison, a gorgeous finish from Gilfie Sigurdsson. Again, Matic on that play really didn't close down the way that he should. He kind of let him cut inside onto his right foot, which is a strong foot. So poor defending from Manchester United. But anytime you score from 35 yards, you need some things to go your way. And it was fabulously struck. And then Luka Dean, again, like you said, a poorly cleared corner goes right out to him. He takes it one time. De Gea can't get a can't get an eyeball on it because of all the all the traffic in front of him, and it just is well placed into the bottom corner. Nothing he can do about it. And the finishing, finally, this season we've created plenty of chances, a smorgasbord of chances all over the place. And today we finally got some consistent ones, and it was th- two outside of the box goals. And then uh, we, we can't forget about Theo Walcott who. When Theo Walcott's scoring against you, that that's probably not the best sign for uh, the state of your team. But credit to him, a really nice one-touch finish on the break, and and it was four 0 and we were away, and it was just like ecstasy. It was, as you said, we we complain about not being able to take chances, the players not being confident enough in their ability, 
specifically maybe like players like Bernard or obviously Theo Walcott, just terrible decision making. But we just, I guess, saved it all for Manchester United waiting for Lukaku to return. And you know what? I'll be the first to say it. I'm really happy that Theo scored, even if it was, you know, just to run in behind the defense in a one-on-one situation, because I still think that Theo Walcott has a role to play at the club. Is it a starting role? No. But I think that Theo Walcott being in the 18 as a backup winger is definitely something that the club could use moving forward. And so to score a goal against Manchester United, regardless of, of you know the current situation when he subbed on, that should be a good confidence boost for him. Yeah. And just off of that, like how many of those similar type of chances where he's in on goal and it, it might not be the best angle that has he missed this year? And albeit this one was about as cut and dry as you could get. He's pretty much in. He has a decent angle this time and he doesn't have to do too much. But I, for one, as soon as he was in, I was like, there's a very good chance he misses it. And then he slotted at home. I was like, it's just one of those days for Everton where everything goes right and everything for Manchester United goes wrong. And I was just, you know, over the moon. At that point, when it's 4-0 and you're just flying like that, there's no feeling like it as a fan, especially with the with the lows that we've experienced as a fan base. And this was definitely up there with the highs and the crowd rocking. Everyone just having a great time, a great day on Easter. Just you can't beat it. You really can't. No, you cannot. So in terms of of play style, right? I mean, it was as expected. We played out wide and and focused on crosses. 40% of our attacks were actually equally distributed on each flank, flank, which is good to see, right? Because that means that we're not relying too much on one side or the other, specifically the left-hand side, which we've seen a lot this season. Um, 26 crosses played in. I think that's a fantastic output, especially seeing as how we did not have the majority of possession. Yeah, that that sticks to kind of Marco Silva's MO is to put a lot of balls into the box and try to win them. And I do want to kind of harp on the the 40%, the even distribution of attacks down either flank, probably close to the first time this season where we've had such a thing. It's generally been, like you said, one-sided on the left. And and Bernard was up to his usual antics as he seems to be fully settled into the Premier League. Some of his first touches are like just jaw-droppingly clever, knows how to get free in space, is really adapted to the physicality and he's not afraid to to bump bodies with guys although he's only 55 like I was I'm impressed with the way that he throws himself around with Luca Dean behind him they they have developed a really good understanding and then Richarlison just his play style his versatility ability to play across all three front positions is so valuable to us and with him on the right hand side in front of Seamus Coleman Seamus Coleman's come on leaps and bounds and kind of regained the form that many thought he was past at this time in his career. And he's really kind of proven all the haters wrong. Absolutely agree. And you know, one of the best moments of yesterday's match was Manchester United getting their first shot on target in the 86th minute. It's kind of just, you really just can't believe, you see that stat and it's like, that's a typo, right? Like that's not real. That is just a testament to how, again, how good we were defensively as we have been all year from open play in their front lines, just complete ineptitude and and inability to to find any kind of link up together. I talked in the pre-match about how I expected Anthony Martial to give Seamus Coleman the runaround. And there was not a single time when he looked really all that threatening. There was, I think maybe one play where he tried to cut inside and I thought he might've a chance to score. But even when they had those somewhat decent opportunities, they'd, they'd take a shot and it'd fly 15, 20 feet wide. Jordan Pickford had basically nothing to do all day. Ain't that right. He really didn't, but 
I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, I'm sure he's totally happy with with how that went. And you look at the and just in the general demeanor and how things played to the eye test, I thought that Dominic Calvert-Lewin looked twice the player that Romelu Lukaku did. If you look at the stats after the fact, Lukaku ended up winning 10 aerials, Calvert-Lewin six. There were there were times in the first half where I was genuinely worried about the threat that Lukaku posed because he is just such a physically imposing player and he was able to get good position on our central defenders and whoever was marking him on air balls in the air and things like that. But again, like even when he won the initial ball, there wasn't really any kind of outlet for him or any kind of cohesiveness about their attack. And they just look clueless in a lot of different ways. Paul Pogba actually had an okay game. I thought there was that one really nice over the top through ball to Rashford who uh, let it bounce when he probably should have tried to strike it first time would have been ambitious, but yeah, say a lot of people say they'd have Romelu Lukaku back and there's an argument to be made there. But for me, I'm just, I'm just not really seeing it. It's funny because apparently we were already four nil up. We got a corner. He was the one to clear the corner from Manchester United's end. And then he shushed the lower Gladys street end because they were singing fatty, fatty. What's the score? I love it. That's just like the icing on the cake. I mean, it's it's a little mean, you know. He's probably feeling a little self conscious about his belly, and <laughs> maybe gained a little weight, trying to get th- trying to get thin before summertime when he's hitting the beach or whatever. Going to Cali with Paul Pogba like uh, last summer. Yeah, hitting L.A., hitting the hitting the club. But I think he'll be off in the summer. I, I don't think that he's really shown much in his time at Manchester United. Which, I mean, it would have. He's our record Premier League goal scorer, so. His his goal scoring record speaks for itself, but I don't know if he's really up to the to the quality that Manchester United are are looking to get. But not to talk too much about them, but I do think that they're in desperate need of a huge rebuild now. And I think that 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 reality starting to set in with their fans is that it's not something that can be attributed just to like Jose Mourinho's regressive tactics. It's much more than that. It goes deep to like the core of the team and the work rate. And I, there was a stat floating around that we ran cumulative, cumulatively eight kilometers more as a team than Manchester United. Like you're just not going to win a game if you're not willing to put put a shift in flat out. A hundred percent. And, you know, the players and the managers say it every week that we are at Goodison. But when the fans are behind us like they were once again, I think the players get a huge boost from it. Yeah, the fans get behind the team. And when you score that early, it really makes things easy. And then the crowd gets up and it's kind of just like a, a self-fulfilling prophecy where like the crowd's up, the players get up, the players will, someone will put in a tackle or, or win a ball back. Um, haven't even mentioned Idrissa Ganagay really. I thought he was outstanding with his work rate, doing everything that we know that he's able to do, but his ability to play the ball continues to like improve week over week. And it's starting to be kind of scary because I, I just, in two years, we never really saw it. And then all of a sudden he's just spraying balls left and right. And that just it just keeps escalating to the point where like the crowds at a fever pitch and everyone's so excited and it just makes for a really, really fun place to play and and an intimidating place to play if you're the opposition. Speaking of intimidating, before we wrap things up, one thing we didn't talk about, the siren continued and along with it, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, our unbeaten streak with said siren. Yeah. What's that like three and oh now? So that's that's a that's a promising thing and 3-0 against uh pretty solid opposition as well. Well, yeah, think- three wins, one draw, right? It started with Liverpool. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. How could I forget about that? But but regardless like that 
I don't know how much can be attributed to that versus, you know, the, the siren specifically, it's not just that it goes beyond that into how that, that affects the crowd. And I believe, you know, the fan groups, the originals that are doing a lot of good work to try to try to up the atmosphere at Goodison because it had been pretty flat for some time. And when the team's winning, it's, it's another thing. It makes it that much easier to get the crowd up for it. But there is a lot of, you know, there's, there's a certain type of commitment and an attitude you have to have going into the ground thinking like, I mean, I don't mind standing up and cheering. I'll sing a song or two, like those, just those little tiny shifts. And then all of a sudden the ground's bouncing the opposition are on the back foot and, and Everton are cruising to a four 0 win. Absolutely. So Please look out for our Crystal Palace pre-match in the next couple days. We play Palace on Saturday. Hopefully we can keep the the run alive and continue to grab points because we are sitting in seventh place, although extremely unconvincingly. Before we absolutely wrap things up, we just wanted to give kind of a quick update. So we have a bunch of people that we've been trying to schedule as guests, and I mean a bunch, a solid double digits. And we apologize if you feel if if you feel like we're we're putting it off, but James and I are essentially just going to wait until the end of the season, in which we have a little more time. I literally just moved two days ago. I'm in the middle of transitioning a role. James is working on getting his promotion at work. We've both been out of town different weekends, and so it just make thing, makes things a little hectic. So, you know, please don't feel like we are are avoiding you. We just life is busy, isn't that right? Yeah, we really appreciate everyone who's reached out expressing interest, wanting to come on the show. And if you're listening now and you do want to come on at some point, um, whether that be for an episode or just we have some ideas for some like mini uh, season wrap up things that we want to do. We have some cool ideas. If you have anything, if you want to come on as a guest, if you have any ideas of things that you'd like to see us record about anything, any feedback, you can hit us up on Twitter, hit us up on Facebook, slide into the email, americantoffee at gmail.com. Let us know. We love hearing from you guys. It means a lot to us. That's why we do it in the first place to hear from you guys and interact with fans. And so we'd appreciate any feedback, any, any kind of ideas, or, or again, if you want to come on as a guest, please, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to stay up to date on the latest episode releases and Everton news. And we'll see you guys next time.